Welcome to In Our Words, Black Entrepreneurs Speak Wisconsin. The mission of this podcast is to provide a more holistic understanding of the African-American entrepreneur in the state of Wisconsin. Specifically, we seek to gain in-depth understanding regarding challenges faced and overcome by black business owners, while also providing success stories and strategies implemented along the way that has helped grow their business startup and growth resources. Okay, we are back for another episode of In Our Words podcast, the podcast for authenticity, inspiration, and holistic storytelling. Um, There are some very special guests with us here today. Let me introduce them. We have a writer, performance artist, curator, facilitator, also the owner of Stillwater Collective, Ms. Dasha Kelly Hamilton with us today. We also have a 14-year veteran police officer in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, and the founder of a nonprofit or- organization, Life Enforcement. We have Officer Key Juan Brown with us today. So before we get started, um, you know, I just wanted to say thank you for being here today. It's, it, it's a pleasure to be in this space with you two, really. Um, so as we get started, um, I'd like to start with you, Dasha. Um, just a simple question. Who, who is Dasha Kelly Hamilton? Never simple. Dasha Kelly Hamilton is a creative change agent. And in the work that I've done, it's been a a way to put an umbrella over all of these endeavors that are using my small creative gifts to make enormous impact in terms of change. Or maybe the other way around, maybe my enormous creative gifts to make small changes that hopefully will have a ripple effect. I am a wife, I'm a mother, I am a creative, I am the granddaughter of Glorious Malone, and Mm. I make a mean lasagna. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, you spoke about some things that of who you are um, and who you are now. Where does where does it all begin for you? How did how did how did it all start? Where did it all start? I was born a poor black child. No, I was born in Milwaukee and I'm an army brat. So my parents met in college at UW Whitewater and I was a sophomore year surprise. So my father um, enlisted in the military and commissioned around the time I was four. So my whole life has been with my family traveling the globe. Um, He retired maybe 10, 10, 15 years ago as a colonel in the army. So in the course of that experience, it's one of the first things I tell people about myself because living in other countries, having neighbors that change all the time, being the new kid at a new school with regularity, it creates, not just a tolerance for people, but really this appreciation for all the ways there are to be in the world. So I carry that with me to being the, um, to being one of the kids who gets bused to a white middle school and you're going through all the hormones, you're going through middle school, that transition by itself and figuring out what it means to that I'm allowed to be black and also be in honors classes, but also still count as black and processing what that meant and then traveling overseas with my family just learn how to one as a unit rely on each other and you just learn to pay attention to how people get to move Mm -hmm. so I've always been a writer through all of that and I I thought that everyone wrote I didn't know that everyone couldn't I knew that many people didn't like to Mm -hmm. so this thing that I've kept for myself as as a hobby i in between playing games and making stuff and doing crossword puzzles, I would also just randomly write short stories. And that was something that resurfaced once I got in, to and through college as something I leaned into, I built community around. I found that 
turns out that's really where my work is. Between that and working with young people, I've given myself permission to be surprised while also having a plan. So finding that balance of allowing the world, allowing life to guide me, but not exactly wandering through life. So that's a balance of confidence. It's a balance of falling down. It's also, I go back to again, being this military kid and meeting so many people. It's also knowing that there's an idea, there's a, there's a, there's a comfort, there's an experience that I haven't seen yet, and it's out there because there's so many that I have seen and I have experienced that it gets, it's been able to encourage me to go to the next unknown thing. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you talk about balance. Um, you know, we, we talked about the start and where did it all start for you. How do you, how do you balance and, like, how do, um, what's changed for you mentally, physically, and spiritually since, you know, all of this change and balance has been happening? I've described the, this, this, the, the, this experience that we've all been processing through has been a way that's recalibrated, honestly, what balance gets to mean for me. Because I won't at all be a poster child for balance. I have not been a poster child for balance. But it's like so many of us, the things that are not about reevaluating about values, but things that are taken away, things that have been given to us in these times of being sheltered in place, not being able to move around, and having to really re- redesign how I get through day to day, week to week, month to month. And at the end of that first, I call it the first COVID summer, in my body, I felt this this recalibration of on a cellular level of what got to be enough. So prior to that, it was nothing to run all-nighters back to back to back. It's nothing to spin down beyond my last dime because I had to. The other resources weren't coming and the cavalry wasn't coming. And if, it didn't, if I didn't put my hands on it, it wasn't going to get done. And wanting so much, not just for myself, but for the people that I was really blessed to have around me. So I didn't set out to start a nonprofit, I set out to do a thing that became another thing. They became seven things, that became a thing, that became another thing, that became a school league, that became fellowships for young people, that became me traveling with the U.S. State Department as an arts envoy for the embassy. Nothing that I planned for, um, but it was beautiful. And when you have those beautiful things happen, it feels like this is definitely what's supposed to happen. And then my and then the flip side of that, you come home, and I haven't had a dream so long because by the time I stop moving, it's like a coma sleep, right? And that's just the cost of getting the stuff done. That's just what it takes when you're on your grind. And I really appreciate in these recent years all of us stopped and go, wait, 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 wait. Let's reevaluate this grind theory. Wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's, let's. Let's talk again about this hustle mentality. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes, we're working hard. Yes, we're goal-oriented. Yes, we have things to do. And I was able to feel, not because I didn't have the sense <laughs> to stop, but I didn't have the thousand things to do in that, that fateful day when my calendar got clear. What I looked right? at during that time was it felt more like permission to slow down. Uh, during 2020. After that, it was the whole world stopped. It wasn't just me that stopped doing different things. It felt like you had permission to stop. And that's how I was able to 
recalibrate and say, okay, well, let's look at some different things. I agree. And what do you think it was that we didn't give that permission to ourselves before? Uh, because everyone else was uh, on a constant go and there was always something else happening. There was always something else. If I wasn't doing it, then I had to think of something else to do because there was this constant idea that we had to create more. We mm -hmm. had to do more and we had to be out there more. Um, and I think that's where that came from. So whatever you were doing, there was another 50 things that you needed to take care of. And if it wasn't things that you needed to take care of, then you needed to find time to create more and do more. And I think that was when 2020 came for me and I was forced to uh, slow down. I got sick, mm -hmm. uh, me and my wife. And we talk about this often too, where we say, I look back at that as sick as I was. I don't know if I've ever been sicker in my life, but at the same time, with all I was involved in, I literally could not do anything because because of COVID, it was it was improper for you to continue working. Hmm. I had never experienced that before. You could be sick and actually take care of yourself. And for two weeks, I would have gone back to work as soon as I possibly could, but I probably would have been sick for probably four months as, as opposed to only two weeks. Very true, very true, very true. And I would say, uh, looking back on to your, how all this happened, I, I often compared the myriad of things that I was involved in and everything made sense and everything was important and everything felt like a slot machine. Right. So you go in, you're going to pull, you're going to put a, a, the, the token in multiple machines and just pull all the handles in a row. One of these suckers is going to hit. And it was at I guess I, it's fear. Looking backwards, you can, I wouldn't have ever described myself as a fearful person, but with that, this time to pause and reflect, oh, that wasn't bravery. That was fear. So with the fear of, well, if being a, because I went off to school, when I came out of school, my, my background's in marketing and PR. Okay. So, okay, if this p marketing freelancing thing, maybe that's not it. What if this writing thing isn't it? What if this nonprofit thing isn't it? What if I'm supposed to do this over here? And I'm great with young people. So I'm, and I'm looking for something to stick all. or something to kind of go poof for you to it take was, off. It was more of not wanting to let anything go. Okay. So it was, and that's the thing that felt good about it, that I'm, that you don't always catch yourself in that, in the space in the whirlwind that way because it was nothing that I was chasing. Yeah. It was nothing that I was trying to make happen. Everything was hitting. Um, but they were, it was all over the place. And it was, well, I, now's have the all time. These ideas, I have all these ideas. All the, and we got to, and I can't sit on these great ideas because I worry that I may miss out on something that I know would have been great. I had a um, <laughs> someone say, I, why are you fighting so hard to make this fill in the blank project, to make this particular thing work? I'm like, because it's an amazing idea, he says, and every great idea doesn't have to happen. <gasps> what did you just say to me? And in that moment, I realized that had never occurred to me. Because if you have a great idea and you have the capacity to make it happen, you you keep going until you make it happen. You don't wait for someone else to figure it out. I definitely learned not to wait for anyone else to give me approval because eight times out of ten, no one knows what I'm talking about anyway. Until they see it, oh, that, yeah, the thing that I use all my really good words to explain to you, you didn't believe it could happen. But just because you don't hold in your mind what I hold in my mind doesn't make what's in my mind irrelevant, impossible, not, not a great idea. So fighting those two forces kept me 
driving really hard and thankfully things that I really appreciated and loved. And one of those things turned into Stillwaters. So I initially was invited to go into a school to say, hey, we heard you're a real author. Could you come and do a workshop? Absolutely. Come and do a workshop. $50? Yes. You know, and so one class became multiple classes. And then I look around and there are other adult poets. Then I have alumni students. And then we are now a legacy. And it's been over 20 years. And that's crazy to have that kind of math. But it's, I'm grateful for the journey that I did not script. And it was learning how to be obedient to things that didn't make sense, but made all the sense in the world. So on this side of balance, it's having gone through all of that and sleepless nights and missed bills and those type of things. And this incredible network of, of family now. But I have a choice. And I was able to pause and say, you have a choice. No one made you not get a pedicure so so-and-so's cell phone could stay on. No one made you do that. And, the th- and it was important to me at that time to make that commitment. And I get to reevaluate what those commitments are. So that's what this time has been. And um, feels great. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, very much loving the dialogue between you two so far. And I, I just want to throw in there that this is the first time you two have met. You know, and it just shows it just shows how um, some of the sim- experience can be very similar to two different people from separate counties. Right. Absolutely. Um, and I also wanted to apologize to Officer Brown here because I said his name wrong earlier. When we were talking about that. Um, it's not Kiwan. It's Kawan. Right. It is Kawan. And at the same time, uh, there's people who call me Kiwan. My uh, aunt calls me Kiwan consistently. Mm-hmm. She knows my name is Kawan. So sometimes it's a sense of endearment and mm-hmm. um I'm perfectly fine with mm-hmm. it. No well, one else would have known, and I would have been perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I just want to make sure we get corrected yeah, no, there. But um, I do want to transition to you, brother. Um, I, I love how you jumped in there, and uh, you guys were speaking about some, giving some really good information out um, for the um, the viewers. So um, I'm going to ask you a very similar question that I asked uh, Dasha here. Um, who is Kawan Brown? Well, first I want to say I appreciated and loved your response to it. Uh, that was really awesome. Kawan um, Brown. Um, for me, I'm just a young man who wants to take care of my family and want to uh, really impress and make my mom and dad proud. If I'm being honest, that's really it. I have spent my life trying not to be a burden to them. Um, even when I was younger, um, I went without taking care of certain things or asking them for things because I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to ask them for new clothes or uh, money for a trip. Uh, per se, because I knew they had about eight or nine other miles to feed. So due to that, I started really uh, being a person that uh, relied on myself and tried to make sure that I took care of myself in certain ways. And it may not have worked out, uh, as you said, in the unscripted journey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, It may not have worked out the way I would have planned initially, but at the end of the day, I ended up exactly where I wanted to be. And I'm really blessed and happy to uh, really focus on my passion right now, which is taking care of the community and taking care of those around me. Where do you fall in the lineup of siblings? Um, it's, it's a lot of times we look at it and it's almost like we have two generations. So mm-hmm. I have my brother Lavelle who looks at least 10 years younger than me, but he's uh, 40 something. He just probably turned 43, I think. But he looks way younger than me. He's a very good looking guy. Love him. <laughs> uh, my brother Jerome is after that. Him and I 
we have a blended family. Um, and until I talk to other people, I don't really bring up that it's blended because it's just my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters. But nonetheless, my brother Jerome uh, and I were born in 83, him and June, me in August. Uh, and he just passed. Uh, it'll be a year uh, on the 21st. Of, uh, so it's coming up here. Love him to death and miss him. And then after that, there's like eight. <laughs> so there's a lot of us. And um, uh, very, very much so a blessed family and blessed experiences growing up. And, and like I said, because of how big our family was, my mom and dad, I don't know how they took care of all that they took care of. But at the same time, that's where I just really didn't want to be a burden to them. And um, I didn't want to have to keep coming back to them as for things. I knew that they had others to take care of. And they've given their all, uh, my mom and dad, both pastors, and taking care of those in the community. People come in and live in uh, with us. And we never really saw it as somebody living with us. It really felt like, oh, another family member's moving in or we're just, and it was friends, you know. So that was a mm -hmm. blessing. It was a real, huge blessing growing up that way. Yep. And Kawan, you're, you are um, involved in a multitude of different um, business ventures or um, just, you know, professional things that you do. Um, again, I want to know, like, uh, you talked a little bit about it, but if you can dive deeper again into a little bit of um, where does it all begin for you and how does it, how does it start for you? So for me, uh, in terms of it starting, I mean, that's a tough one because there's so many different uh, aspects when it comes to life. But uh, when I look at my nonprofit journey, uh, it, came, it was more out of the that feeling of coming up with different ideas consistently. And I, it came from almost different uh, foundation stepping stones in a sense with uh, me becoming a police officer. And I feel like that's where my life enforcement nonprofit came from and was birthed from. Um, I know when I first was looking at uh, the journey of becoming a police officer, um, I wanted to make sure that I bless, I wanted to be that officer that uh, I experienced. I ran away when I was 14 years old, do some different things. And just before that, I tried to uh, deal with some different things. And I had two officers that came and they were incredibly nice to me. I, I couldn't eat. They went to me to McDonald's, got me food and I couldn't even eat it, but what I recalled was how beautiful they were and how nice they were, and it was my first positive experience with law enforcement officers, and when I thought about what I wanted to do with myself, I thought back to that legitimately, hmm. and I wanted to be that for a young kid because I think as adults, sometimes we forget what kids need in their most toughest moments, so I prayed that I would be able to uh, go through my career and be able to do that for someone else. Well, as I moved forward and kind of got my footing as a law enforcement uh, officer, I looked at the fact that we have some different things available to us in the case that we are out there, we need to bless somebody. Uh, we're dealing with a kid. I remember specifically going to a house and it's cold. The kids, uh, the parents were um, neglectful. Mm -hmm. I had nowhere to take them. These kids are uh, need something to eat. And where am I supposed to get the money to do this? You know, if I take care and pull the money out of my pocket every single time to do this, I mean, then I'm going to be neglect neglecting my family. So I looked at it and to be able to get the funds, we have to jump through a lot of hoops. So because um, at midnight at one, two o'clock in the morning, it's not that the funds aren't there. It's just that there's no way to get it at that time. 
so how could I get these funds in a very quick fashion where I can bless somebody? But then also there was another aspect of that of me being in the community and seeing a lot of issues in Fond du Lac, and I'll just be blunt with it. Um, there was a change in the demographic uh, and diversity of Fond du Lac, and there was a lot of different things, and there was a lot of negative uh, comments that were coming about the influx of people coming to Fond du Lac. And they wouldn't say what it was, but they would say it was people from Milwaukee and Chicago. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't mm-hmm. say, they, they would never put themselves in a certain situation, but it was very clear. But coded, there were, there were issues. Coded. Yes, and there were issues that were happening. So I said, you know what? Um, the way I've looked at myself is not to complain and not to look down on others, but I could also lead by example. So one of my first events, I think it was just around my birthday, August of 2014. Uh, it was before I was officially a nonprofit. I just wanted to deal with some of the issues. And so I got a group of people together to go and pick up trash uh, at a couple of different places, clean the parks in uh, Fond du Lac and replace the uh, basketball nets at these locations. And I wanted to have the opportunity to bless at least one or two people uh, with uh, $250 worth of groceries. So when I looked at it, I said, well, I, don't, I may not get the support that I need, but I can look at what I can do. So I was able to come up with my own money to be able to uh, get the supplies to do the initial cleaning and picking up things at one at a uh, park, uh, at an apartment complex, and then also the parks. And then I was able to pull the funds together to bless a family. And based on that, I then got matched funds and was able to bless two families. And I had about 15 to 20 people who showed up to help clean. And that was our first event, unofficial. And after that, um, I wanted to start a, uh, the organization. I had the idea for it to be an organization where we take care of the community uh, through selfless acts of kindness. And that's kind of where I was born. Um, and that, I called it life enforcement. I was looking for different ways to help inspire people uh, that look like me and also just others in general to take action and enforce a positive outlook on our own lives uh, as opposed to just complaining about certain things, you know. Uh, are and there other, I'm sorry, other officers involved with you? No, there okay. were no other officers. And even though it's life enforcement, it was uh, different names that I came up with. It wasn't necessarily associated with the police department, but it's what uh, it's what spoke to me at the time. Uh, when I came up with the, with the logo for life enforcement, um, I was trying, I was really focused at that time on trying to come up with something that I called, um, I had been taught about something, if I'm correct, it was, um, AOIs or uh, areas of opportunity. You're trying to go through the process of putting together a plan. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I looked at the life enforcement logo, when I get back over here, um, this was the original logo that I had, and now it's gone, so I'm not going to be able to pull it up. But it was a a pincer grasped pin is what it was. Um, And specifically, a pincer grasp is where you... Uh, the uh, point your finger and the thumb come together to grasp a pen. And so I took the outline of that, and what that meant for me was planning. That's where I felt that a lot of times we had all these ideas where we didn't take the time, the time to plan and write these things out and put it forward, put pen and paper, and actually plan out what we want to do and whether or not it would be possible. So I, I did the outline of that. That ended up being my logo, the pincer grasp, and that's what that meant for me. And that's where that kind of came from at that point because I wanted to kind of 
lead by example. I wanted to see that there was an issue. There's graffiti somewhere. There's trash over here. Great. We can go online and complain about it, or we can get a group of us together and go pick it up and go clean it. Exactly, exactly. Yep. And um, similar again to, to the questions I asked before, um, since you started, what's, you know, what's changed for you mentally, physically, and spiritually? And how, how do you balance everything that you're doing within your community, within your profession, and within yourself, your family? Um, how do you balance all of that and continue moving forward? So in terms of balance, um, the problem that I had originally is when you start a nonprofit or start anything, you want to get support and you want to tell other people about what you got going on. So then you start networking. And once you start networking, then you start showing up for other people's things because that's what you do. Um, and initially, this was one of the things that I struggled with. And it took me a moment. I, one day I'm like, I'm running ragged. I have no time to do anything. And I turn around. I'm doing probably three to four events. I'm going to this booth to go in there. None of it had to do anything with life enforcement. None of it. It had nothing to do with life enforcement, and I was getting nothing out of it. Going back to those list of things that the, the handouts of what you're supposed to yes. do, you check the box, and exactly. you're showing up because showing up is the thing, not what you're there for. And I didn't have a scope. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a focus. I just needed to do things. I call that, instead of having business, you had busyness. Yes, and that's exactly what was going on. So I, I took a moment and I stepped back from that and I said, okay, well, what is my mission? What is my focus? What is my goal? Why am I doing these things? And once I looked at that, now everything that I started doing, I started asking myself, does this support my mission? Does it support my scope? And if it does, then I will do it as long as there's, there's time for it. So that was one area that I had to stop and look at. Mm -hmm. Does it support my mission? Does it support my scope? So once I did that, I was able to start managing my time and my events and my uh, obligations a lot better after that. Because otherwise, you're just saying yes to everything because everyone wants you to support them. Um, so after I was able to figure that all out, um, then I started uh, dealing with the issues of the ideas, the, the, and the constant ideas of, okay, well, this is a problem. Okay, I can do that. Okay, well, here's the issue. There's, there's people who are hungry. How about I open a food pantry? So now I have a food pantry, but no way to manage it because I'm not over there at any point. Uh, so then we came up with different ideas to deal with that because, again, you have people who are hungry, and how do I get things to them? So then I came up with the idea of something more efficient, which was the, um, we called it the emergency needs fund, as opposed to having, we gave away all the food that we had to a food pantry because there are some already there in Fond du Lac. So it was redundant what I was doing in the first place. Mm -hmm. uh, what I saw after I went and met with the community and the food pantries was to ask what they needed. Um, and they said they just need support. So I started doing fundraisers and uh, food drives for the, uh, for the pantries that were here already, as opposed to being a food pantry myself when I didn't need to do that. I then started an uh, emergency needs fund where I was, had funds available where somebody needed somewhere to stay right now, it's freezing outside and they need clothes, food. We had those funds and had people ready to be able to go and bless them. After we re-looked at the different resources that were available already, and if those resources don't work, now we can go with them and buy those funds with them. And we went with them because it wasn't about the money for us. Anybody can just write a check. Yeah. I would always go shopping for them with them with the groceries. So. We started coming up with different plans and uh, writing things out, and that's where I was able to start balancing myself there. However, then after I got that figured out, then I got on the job of being on every single board that I could possibly be on. 
because you kind of learned, but then you didn't. Yes, because I loved, I loved <laughs> doing, my biggest issue is I loved creating events. So I loved, uh, I'd have the, and I shouldn't even say this on air because that's the thing I know somebody is going to do and I haven't had the time to do it yet. But there was these uh, color runs out there. So I'm like, I want to do a color run to be able to raise funds for somebody here. But then, and finally, like I had this idea, I'm like, well, what if I called it the DYE, D-Y-E, diversity color run? Look at you. I've, in all my years, I've never been able to do this, but Look I'm like, that you. would be really cool. Diversity <laughs> color run. Um, so... But again, that's the issue of having ideas. And so to manage having ideas, I started looking at um, my focus and then uh, setting up myself with, okay, am I going to do 15 boards? No, I switched it down to uh, initially it was, I was going to be on four boards and I would only be able to do three events that I would be in charge of. And then I would tell people point blank uh, because that was the hardest thing, uh, being able to say no to certain things because it felt like I was saying I didn't want to do it. I would say, hey, I'm at my limit in terms of my boards that I'm willing to be on. If I am able to step off of one, then I can reconsider. That was my biggest struggle, being able to figure out how to say no to certain things without it looking like it was just because I didn't want to do it. So that's the biggest way I've been able to balance myself, setting uh, myself with goals, setting myself up with what my uh, boundaries are, um, and from those boundaries, sticking to those boundaries to coming back to what my boundaries uh, should be. And I found one thing that's helpful, too, is especially with the work that, that we do, you meet amazing people and you just kind of keep this running, this running Rolodex of who's doing what and who's striving for what. And not just what your business card says, but to know that you have this goal or this ambition to d do X, Y, Z, really yeah. get to know folks. So yeah. then my no is I can't, but reach out to so-and-so and such and such. Exactly. You know, or I'm not sure, but you know, if you reach out to these organizations, they can probably help you. So I'm curious, though, when you talk about the balance, to say I'm going to tackle hunger, if you can't see me on the radio, my eyes are wide and I'm just stunned, and it's not a small thing. Mm -hmm. And it's a series of efforts and initiatives and projects and events and that other balance at home. So this passion that you have becomes another I'm not going to go as so far as say, you know, it's, it's you, you know, step it out in your family. But, but it, it's it an, overruns. It it's overtakes. another part relationship that you have. So how does that balance for so you? So I've been through a huge journey with this. And I, I, I won't say that I failed in certain areas. Mm -hmm. What I would say is that I have learned a lot. And uh, from that, the, that learning, I have put different things in place. So um, initially, my hope was that me, I had this awesome idea. It's going to be me and my wife. We're going to be out here doing all these great events together. She said, boy, please. So, so, if we're, so we're if we're both doing this together, you know, we're, and we're both busy all the time together, then I'm not missing, I'm not missing out on my family. Um, she didn't want, she, no, she didn't want that. She wasn't there for it. You know, she would be there to support me here and there, but I was doing a little bit too much. So then eventually it started being me being gone too long. Um, so how did I end up uh, dealing with that? Uh, I would say... Honestly, that's where I said uh, that was COVID. COVID blessed me. And, I, and I, I know that other people are going to hear this differently, but as bad and horrible as 2020 was when things shut down, I don't think that we understand what we were given during that time. I, I look back at that time, and I had never been given permission to take care of myself. If you're sick, do not come in here. You will get other people sick. 
I can't go in. And that and it, wasn't news. We have heard that with colds and yeah. flus for years. Nope. If you're but this time we meant it. We did and they it. meant it. And then I was stuck at home with my wife and my kids. I could not go anywhere. So usually if we get stuck home uh, and I can't go to work, we end up doing what? We end up being busy, killing ourselves, going to do all these other things. We got to go find something to do. With all these. We couldn't do anything. And I never experienced that. And I got to know my family my wife, mm. and I realized and saw when we were at home drawing on the sidewalk with chalk. We were playing Foursquare. I don't know why Foursquare came up, but out of nowhere, we were playing Foursquare a million times a day. Mm-hmm. We are playing board games, and that work-life balance came to me where I'm like, I can't miss out on this anymore. And so then that, again, allowed for me to have the opportunity to step away for certain things and then to say that I'm going to be, at, that's where I went down from four boards. I went down to one board life enforcement, and then one other board. So the only other board I'm on right now is uh, Children's Museum of Fond du Lac. At this point, I literally just gave a, uh, spoke at the board meeting this morning and spoke about diversity and uh, board diversity and the importance of it um, uh, over at Children's Museum of Fond du Lac. Uh, the board that I left was uh, ASTOP, which is, um, that was the final board that I left before I switched over to Children's Museum of Fond du Lac. That, and ASTOP is a, it stands for ASTOP, put ASTOP to sexual uh, assault. And it is a sexual assault advocacy group. Um, I worked with um, two graphic designers and web designers to redo their logos, redo their websites. Uh, I went through uh, rebranding with them, coming up with different events. One of them was uh, a zombie run is what we came up with. That was really fun. In different ways to raise funds, we came up with a barbecue. Um, so those are different things that I was working on. And I think that when it comes to being in the nonprofit space, one of the biggest challenges challenges is raising funds sometimes listen and listen whether it's writing if you write the grant now you have to uh, know what the uh, parameters of that grant are what you can spend that money on and if you and I can have a hundred thousand dollars over here want to hire you but it can't be allocated to you so now I have to go find someone else or do write another grant to be able to support the great work that you might be able to do but that's because this money can only be spent over there and have that understanding of those things but again where do I even write them right to get these grants in the first place? How do I discover these grants? Yeah, that nonprofit industrial complex is real. You know, as again, as someone I didn't intend to set out to, to do to have a nonprofit. But then you look around, I said, I literally said, I think I'm an organization now and was able to do the, the processing with a lot of help to get the nonprofit, nonprofit yeah. status. But even just doing the work. Right, especially being a small nonprofit, it would be so. Let me get this straight you're going to give this big institution a gazillion dollars. Who's going to what call me to execute the thing that I submitted to do directly in the first place? Which, of course, we're going to get for pennies on the dollar. And the idea that uh, just in so many other ways, in terms of size, dictates anything, the idea that um, I'm I couldn't spend, I'm just one person. You know, I can be a pop-up shop depending on the event. You know, I have some volunteers, I have young people that I'm training, but by and large, the the buck does stop here. And I've already talked about staying up all night and running that, running, running to, 
make the program, to deliver the program, yes. to train for the program. So now I have to, have to pause and write the grant. Um, and there's supposed to be schmoozing that happens to make sure that you're in the favor of the folks who approve the grants. And it was, it was a lot for, and I know there are individuals that do it, and I've limped along and done it. But I all I found myself leaning into I'm going to do this work, and the money part will figure itself out to happen. I've been able to get some grants, I know small and large in between, but definitely not the grant writing machine that's going to yeah. make a a nonprofit be sustainable. And after literally 20 years, it was I can't breathe, I can't take another step, and took that to be a sign from the universe to just pause. Yeah. You know, so I, and the good news was we had, Stillwaters had grown to the point, and we have, did, we have a dozen of, uh, alumni fellows. We've trained over 100 young people to be teaching artists. We've impacted 14,000 young people in terms of doing writing workshops and poetry slams and leadership development and taking them on trips across the country. That's beautiful. It's been amazing. And so the good news is that it grew to the point where it just couldn't function on the the very nimble bones that it, I, was, I just I often described it. It was a a very limber body with with no bones, and and to be able to have the courage, and it was emotional. It was it was how did I fail? It was ego. How can this happen? What's it going to look like? It was um, just this this pain of these young adults, I call them my sugar babies, who had leaned into this experience as not only was it their their side money, it's also their professional development. And for all of them, it was like, what? This could be my life? Yes, your life. So these are young people who are brilliant and weren't brilliant in the I'm going to be a doctor kind of way. Many of them could have been, but life we're not built that way. I call us this, us creative. We creatives. We're curly Q thinkers, and not right angle thinkers. But we're thinkers. It's not the strategy you learn in your MBA. It's a strategy you learn with an MFA, and creating this space where you can feel at home. You can feel that what you have to offer is valued, even if you're still figuring it out. And then you add the layer that we're we're, we're speaking in poems. You're having a space to make sense of those emotional um, tangles. You're having a sense to give, give breath to your own life experiences, good, bad, and in the middle. And more importantly, you're listening to other people, their peers go through the same thing. I love hearing what you're saying that you're bringing these young people and you're setting them up with the to be able to put on the events for the poetry slams, poetry slams mm -hmm. and um, they're learning that these things that they consider to just be either side money or just hobbies could really be something that could be built up to some, something better that could literally support them. Absolutely. And I, that's something I think is a huge blessing because, again, you're teaching. And I'm, that's what I love about what I'm hearing from Still Word is the small that I hear here mm -hmm. is that you're teaching them a whole lot of different things of how to put on the event, the different things that are uh, that you have to do for uh, either networking, getting people there, uh, getting the venue. There's a lot that goes into doing these different events as well as making sure that it's done right and then advertising on, about it and advertising it in a timely manner. I, I just look at those are 
beautiful skills that you're consistently providing to them that they'll be able to put towards something else that they end up doing and they put their time and uh, love to. All those pieces. What really surprised me in the work was we've, we put young people in a position where working backwards, we expect them to be these incredible leaders as young adults, right? And my experience was you had young people as teens who, yes, were leaders, but by and large, they were designated leaders because they were there, mm-hmm. right? They were the ones who yes. showed up. They were the ones who stayed after school. They were the ones who showed up, you know, who came on the bus trip. They're the ones who were there. And that's not the same. So if you're in the kitchen watching people bake a cake, that's not the same as Being giving there. them the ingredients to go bake a cake. So that's one of the things that was really interesting to me, especially after having worked with some of these young people for so many years, like, wait, 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 wait. what do you mean you're, you don't know where the stamp goes? What do you mean you're afraid to make a phone call? Wait a minute, we worked through all the isms. Remember that one time when you were, and different from just the terror of going into adulthood, it was really backtracking going, no one's, you're, you're, no one's believed in you. Yeah. And so when you think about our young people coming through systems that expect you to be mediocre, when you're in a community that, uh, that rewards mediocrity, and then you layer on the fact that if you are a kid who's wrapped in any kind of melanin, if you're a kid who's coming from a zip code that doesn't have resources, how ingrained that is. You know, in one of my seminal moments, one of my fellows at this point, she was 19. She goes, you know, we were mad at you. I said, I know, I could tell. Let's talk about it. (laughs) I love that. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. She said, what I realized is we weren't mad at you. We were mad that you were asking us to do things but not telling us how to do it. And, yeah, that's that's what this is about. And then we realized what we're really mad about is how deeply ingrained in us it's been what we cannot do. Mm-hmm. And so it's working backwards on, on those moments. So to be able to make that space to my last breath, absolutely, absolutely my highest, highest honor. Um, you know, and in all of that, you have this passion, this love, and I got this bunch of grants sitting in my inbox that I don't have time to get to or I'm going to write it and they're going to give it to an, a bigger or a different organization and figuring out what makes the most sense. Like you were saying, you figured out what your goals were. You figured out how to realign what made the most sense. Like I'm not trying to be in every school, I'm not trying to do um, things that are numbers. I want to make, I, I want to make these moments have impact and it's not about, it's never been about teaching poetry, right? Even though I'm teaching poems and teaching, you know, giving these writing classes, the process of going from a blank piece of paper to an awful poem, you answered a whole bunch of questions. You made a lot of decisions. You gave yourself permission to imagine outside of this moment. And if they never remember that poem, they have that muscle memory of what it's like to imagine themselves into a different space and even being taught how to recognize and understand the structure of certain poems mm-hmm. like i wouldn't know that so that i think that would someone even as an adult right now i would love to be able to go through something like that and be taught the different structures of poems the different types of poems and if i go to write this and you, i say well this is give me one of well, a certain poem i don't know but if i was to go write one of these out mm-hmm. or whatever and i would say well this is great and you might say no this is this type of poem and you could be you could be sitting there learning these, these different types of things. And I think it would be great for me to be able to learn that either from you, go to and see 
what Steel Warders has to offer so I can learn about these different things and uh, get those skills. I remember when I was younger, the biggest poems that kept coming to me, I don't know why I was obsessed with this because I must have saw something. And all of a sudden, I just needed to write about the lonely dove. I don't know what that, I don't know what this was. I don't know what it was. Western movie. I have no idea. But it was just, it was just something about this dove that I constantly wanted to write about this poem. And the lonely dove for me at the time, I wanted to put what I was going through. Was, I was going through a whole lot of different things. And for some reason, the dove kind of was, I was identifying as this dove. And I didn't know how to put that pen to paper mm-hmm. to get that out of me. So and that's exactly what it is. It gives you this. Um, it gives you this unexpected window to break all the rules for the rules to make sense for you. Yeah. And I, I, we got to a point where I called it word art, right? So okay. it's not because people get caught up on whether it's a poem, whether it counts, and can I write poetry? And poetry is high-minded. Mm-hmm. And there's been this ongoing dialogue of what poetry is supposed to mean. And so I lean into creativity. And so that's been the, the soapbox that I've been standing on. Because if you think about going back to the pandemic, we've leaned into, you talked about board games, you watch music, you, these movies, people are making sourdough bread and baking cakes. All of these are creative acts. And creativity gives you the, the opportunity to suspend your logic and to allow that other knowing in. And, and we have so much intellect that we don't access because of all the ways that, you know, in this robotic way we've been told to live our lives and we're how we're supposed to be. And I, I mean, I'm a full-on grown-up. And logic, I'm a, I'm a fan of that too. But it's been amazing to invite people back to themselves. So it's been young people, not so young people, and it's poems, it's fiction. It's all the, the ways of finding a space and giving people the authority, not just permission, but the authority to not just lean into what they've always done and what they always know. So we had a series that advanced to doing the creative neighbors and residents. Okay. And invited, uh, we did a whole symposium about creative placemaking, about cultural organizing, about the role that creativity has as change agents. And had 11 people came through, they made suggestions, and we had a fellowship for them. So they they had a budget, they were given coaches, on how to do project management, how to do social media, and just basically just one creative thing that you would do about an issue in one neighborhood, just one thing. So the food desert, someone had an idea of, of, of supporting, you know, I'm gonna, I got $50 on your groceries. I just want to come and record you grocery shopping. Which seems like a weird request, but this person was also a researcher. So what she was able to do is turn that into a conversation about food deserts, how far you had to drive to get this, to, to be able to afford this steak, what you're putting in your basket, even though we've been told, that, air quotes, food groups that don't account for cultural diets, right? You had someone else who had an idea about water. He went and did a bunch of, he used to be a... Um, with his sons, a a Boy Scout leader. So he has this book of all these fun, goofy little water tricks. So he went to farmer's markets and engaged people in these little water tricks and said, hey, I'm going to be out here painting if you want to come with me. And he had a little crew of folks, and they painted octopuses and fish on the drains on the curb. So as people drive by, it's a reminder, what you pour down here goes into people's houses. So there are these creative ways to spark conversations. And I've really moved into, after this career of work, of seeing so many people in so many different ways um, step into themselves 
by stepping out of the box of logic. Yeah. And it's still a, it's still a wisdom, and I'm not, you know, just, it's not for things to not make sense. It's just allowing that things might make sense in ways that you don't anticipate, and that is the gift of being alive. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just want to say that a lot of information was just given there, and I want to make sure that uh, we focus in on one thing here because I think I really, really enjoy when my participants answer my questions without me even having to ask them. And to be honest, y'all answer all the questions high within five. that conversation. <laughs> so again, high five. It's, uh, that was uh, very um, inspirational. And I think it um, covered a lot of the aspects of business, of um, personal life, and, um, you know, just just experiences overall. Um, and, you know, just exactly how you guys navigate your lives, your businesses, and your family dynamics. So I really, really enjoyed that. But um, you guys had mentioned something about um, – decision making decision makers and policy makers and kind of how the pandemic has affected us or just affected the community itself but in a way where it was there was some funds going around right there was some things going around that if you if you um balanced it well or were in the right rooms you could have you know um could have gotten yourself mm -hmm. so i guess my question is where i really want to talk about and dive deeper into is speaking directly to those decision makers and um who are actively expanding their support to specific specifically black owned businesses um how can they effectively most effectively engage and support black owned businesses or just businesses in general how how can they um how can they engage with you effectively how can how what does that look like so for me um, i'm just looking at the nonprofit uh, profit area and um the first place i would look at is giving direction on how to become a nonprofit. So if I want to be a nonprofit uh, organization or a 501c3 or whatever it may be, um, the issue that we most often have is that people who are looking to get into this space have no experience in it, okay? So we have an idea, but then at that same time, there's so many different things that go into being and operating a nonprofit uh, or organization in general that we don't even know uh, where to start. So the biggest and most uh, influential thing I can see happening would be for us to be able to uh, have an idea to open a nonprofit. Let's just say I want to um, give seminars and uh, bless people and it's one way or another. How in the world do I do that? How do I become a nonprofit? Where do I go? Do I go sign up for this? And I think that's where the biggest roadblock for a lot of people uh, is. So there's two things that I would love to see uh, supported where if they gave the funds, if it was a grant and they uh, provided it, it would be for them to create an area or a sector or uh, an organization where I could call and say, hey, I'd like to sign up to be a nonprofit. And then they walk you through that. Right now, right now I know how to do it. Right now, you uh, is. Uh, laid out pretty good to become a 501c3 on IR, at uh, irs.gov. Uh, there's a lot of uh, frequently asked questions. They tell you that you, if you want to be a 501c3, then you need to have your, whether it's LLC, you have to get your EIN. They tell you how to do those different things. So if you want to, you need your EIN, which is your employee identification number. Um, well, how do I get my employee identification number? They're going to tell you all that, how to do that uh, at irs.gov. So, and they're going to run through it. So, I think the biggest issue that we have is once you get that, uh, then um, you need your uh, your bylaws. Uh, if you're going to open up a bank, uh, open up an uh, official account. So I think having an organization that kind of 
lays out a blueprint and then whether it's a lawyer or whoever else that they can support to kind of walk you through these types of things and how to start your nonprofit, how to, what, what are your bylaws supposed to look like? What is your mission statement uh, supposed to look like? Um, what uh, should you be doing for minutes? Because if you're going to be opening up a, a bank account for this organization, you need to have minutes. So, and we may not even know that that's something we need to do in the first place. So I, I would love to be able to see something opened up and funds given towards uh, someone to be able to uh, be centralized in certain areas where I can call and say, hey, I want to open do a nonprofit. What are all the different steps and what are the things I need to know and what do I need to be taught to run it successfully? Because we can just get in there and do it terribly and we, uh, we go three years without filing our E90, you know? Guilty. And, and not know that you're supposed to be doing that. Guilty. You know? And now net out because you went three years without doing it, now you no longer have a nonprofit. These are things that aren't taught, aren't told to you. I had an idea that I want to bless somebody, but to do it properly, there's no one telling me how to take care of it properly. Luckily for me and Fonda, like there's a ton of nonprofits, so I went and uh, consulted with people, but who otherwise you just typically don't have that available. So again, I really think that there needs to be a centralized place where I can call and say, can you walk me through this? Just the same as if I was signing up to go to college. If I want to open up a business, someone should be there to teach me and tell me, hey, these are the proper steps and these are the proper things that you need to be looking out for. And I don't see why uh, business owners or the uh, representatives wouldn't be able to do something like that and uh, de uh, delegate funds specifically for that and have the right people in place for it. What was the question? Um, the question was um, speaking directly to decision makers and um, decision makers actively expanding their support to black owned businesses. Um, how can they most effectively engage and support you um, directly? And what does that look like for you? And um, how, how does how, how does that happen most effectively? Hmm. I'm going to speak from. So what has happened? You know, everyone got on the black woman bandwagon. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yes. Thank you. Thank yes. you. The bandwagon has been rocking for centuries. <laughs> Glad you're here. <laughs> and similar to some of the funds that are being dished out, you know, people just quick, fast starting businesses because you heard they were giving out money. Oh, they got to pay that back. But taking that that initiative and converting that initiative into not just a movement, not just something that's trendy, but my advice is to to seek out these to make your gestures deep. So there's the tick mark of, hey, I have a black graphic designer check. We've got our DI we've done our DEI. Hey, I've got a black woman that I've reached out to and supported her work. Check. I now am an ally. And there are emotional drivers to a lot of this new activity and we know that timing is everything so you take the timing you and you take those resources that attention and that momentum and we run with it but the advice would be not only reach out and for optics engage consultants and businesses of color black women but engage them as thought partners mm -hmm. so don't just invest in my business Invest, just don't invest in my, me and my talent, but invest in my network. So if you took the time to vet me out, and believe me, they're still vetting us out with all of this loving of black women, um, vet out the ones that aren't already shiny. 
right? So you have a platform and the opportunity to go out and engage the, uh, the, the melanin professional of the day who's not already getting, I mean, because it's, then it's a matter of, again, back to optics. So how do you invest in my work? How do you invest in, in what I know? And how do you invest in who I know? So ask me who I can recommend. Ask me who I can refer to you for th uh, whatever your business issues, opportunities, ideas are. And that, that thought moment will take this moment beyond the right now and become how we do business together, becomes how we actually expand our networks together. Um, otherwise, this is gonna be a fad and a trend that fades. And once again, it'll be, back, it'll be our grind and hustle and struggling and staying up all night to try to, well, remember in 2021 when they were hiring all of us? And we can't re be reliant on these moments. So my advice for the decision makers is to ask about the core of your decisions, to give another stool leg to your reasons for supporting black businesses, for your reasons for reaching out. Right now, your reasons are George Floyd. And let's just make sure we're all clear about that. Um, and when you move past the George Floyd reason and your DEI and your um, your white supremacy book list, and for real, you recognize that you are sitting across the table from brilliance. How are you going to tap into that brilliance? And that you're giving yourself a cue to, yes, um, deliberately and intentionally alter habits that we typically go to the people that we know and look like us and are in our network and go to our country club and all of that. Being aware of that is step one. Hiring some, you know, and supporting a black business step two, and then reevaluating how you got there and how you don't return to where you were is step four through a thousand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And supporting in support of what you said, I look, I really appreciated you saying that the one of the ways for them to support us is to support the network. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's very important because a lot of times that is what happens, and I see it often enough where, okay, well, we have this individual. Um, who was the, you said, I think you said token black person. I don't know what ambassador. it was. The ambassador. The ambassador. The ambassador uh, black person. And then this person either goes or leaves. Now we got to replace them. As opposed to just supporting an actual network. There are several people who may be able to be a realtor, you know, who may uh, be a police officer over here, who may uh, have the nonprofit knowledge over here or be a HR person uh, in this area, you know, and all black. That's what I do appreciate uh, with what's going on here as well, mm -hmm. because uh, you said to ask about a recommendation uh, about other people who may be able to fulfill the needs that you're looking for and to be able to look in that small network that you already started with because you could be missing on a wealth of knowledge. And I think that's huge. Um, so on top of that, another area that I just from my heart of hearts, because I see a lot of people, it reminds me of uh, the first generation of college people. Hmm. Um, the same thing is a lot with a lot of uh, first generation um, business or entrepreneurs as well. And if you're first generation, uh, it takes me to the point of, if I don't know, teach me. I think a lot of times we need to be taught uh, how to uh, make sure that we're running these businesses and these nonprofits and setting ourselves up properly, how to market well, looking at the fact that if I come up with a set of 
imaging and colors i need to be consistent with that color those colors i need to be consistent with my logo i need to make sure that it's not stretched out and things like that Mm -hmm. and on top of that i need to also make sure that i am uh, networking with certain people and putting myself in proper placement uh, so that i can benefit and grow my business my nonprofit, or wherever it may be i think sometimes the that's an area that we need where we need to be taught when we're learning when we're starting out and a, and you don't know what you don't know just the way that you know you just don't know what you don't know and i was definitely that person where you know <laughs> got a great idea and i'm going to figure it out while i'm running towards it that's just my personality but in terms of setting up an organization setting up a business and some of those lessons hurt so my ex and i we had a bar and I learned about employee taxes in a really painful way. The government going to come get it. <laughs> you know, but you you are also making sense of it as you're on the move. So going back to what you're saying, having that time when you're forced to pause to make sense of all those things. Like right now, the, the project that I'm working on now, the work that I'm doing. Last year, I was telling my one of my collaborators that this is the first time that I've been able to map out the road and then walk on it. And I'm usually mapping it, laying the bricks while I'm sprinting. And so, especially as an entrepreneur or you're starting out as a nonprofit, you've watched a couple of YouTube videos, you've gone to the scores meeting, so you've done those pieces, you've gotten the consultation, and then you and then you go. But it's the reminder that you're constantly learning, you're constantly building, and all you knew was enough to get yourself started. And we feel like that starter work was that and now we're in it and so and then you're 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 continually sprinting from there so but i i would definitely echo that and having been in that position say in 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 a practical sense give yourself that pause button to kind of regroup touch base with someone else about the the structure your organization best practices um how to be more efficient um and not and not 90% of all the work on how to get the next and how to make it happen. Because I understand that's how the bills get paid. But to your point, being able to do it more smoothly actually gets you, gives you in a position to pay more bills. But I really like that. But I, I, I want to <laughs> raise my hand for all the folks who would love to take that time. And you just have to make it happen. So know that you need to make it happen, pause, reassess, reorganize, clean up. And then run some more, pause, assess, clean up, learn some more, and sprint until you're walking smooth. And those, and for me, I look at, I've been blessed, um, uh, thankfully, but I've looked at other people that I know have had beautiful ideas, but the problem that they have is um, not having the structure or not knowing about it. I won't say you don't know, have it, don't know about the different uh, uh, nuances of running these organizations properly. And so it falters mm-hmm. because we don't know. We fail because we don't know. And then we take it on ourselves. But it's like, again, you didn't, if I wanted to be a plumber I, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it'd be awesome if I could go into people's houses and fix their plumbing. And then tomorrow you don't just go start doing that. You learn how to properly do it. But when it comes to our entrepreneurship and our nonprofit ideas, that's kind of what happens. I had this idea, so now I'm going to do it. And I got an LLC online overnight. What do you mean? I'm ready. (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) I got it. So I think that's where, for me, uh, a lot of our people are struggling because of that, because we're, uh, uh, I wonder if 
it's because there isn't free schooling for that, where I can just say, hey, I want to go for a three week course or a two week course on how to become uh, a nonprofit uh, uh, creator. I don't know. You know what's weird? I would say looking back in those days, all of those classes and it always felt like it was too much for where I was at the time. I mean, I know now that that is not the case, but it was, uh, I, I'll do that one day, or I don't need all of that, or that's not, I'm good, I, I can get started with what I have. I'll get that when I'm ready for it. And of course, when you're ready for it, it's kind of too late. The same way with networking. You don't start making nice with folks when you need things. You yeah. continue, you, treat every, you treat everyone well every time you meet anyone, because you never know when you two will circle back again, whether that's for something that one of you does for the other or just for really great conversation over coffee, you never know. So being prepared in that way, and you're just so eager to get it going, but I, there are resources to, and it, the resources are to how you get started. You're right. How do you, what's the, what is the camp you go to once you're started? Because I'm, and again, like I said, I was blessed enough because I, uh, I was I went to a event and it was salute the troops. So they held a banquet and they were a newer nonprofit. So I literally consulted with them because it was a lot of things that they were doing that I wanted to do differently. But nonetheless, I wanted mm -hmm. to be a nonprofit. And I thought the banquet that they did was awesome. So that their banquet was what inspired me to do my first Christmas event through life enforcement. I wanted to uh, bless uh, about 50 people with a free Christmas dinner. The idea came in Thanksgiving, but it was too late to do it for Thanksgiving, so then I looked at Christmas. Um, and I said, well, 600 bucks, because uh, I was quoted a certain price, and I said, I think it was either six or 500 bucks. I can pay for that out of my own pocket. I want to bless people with a meal. And in the end, because I put the funds up initially myself, I ended up getting support. And that first event, I was able to bless, I think we had about 200 people that we were able to bless with a free Christmas dinner. And it wasn't set up as a soup kitchen. It was set up with round tables, tablecloths, mm -hmm. like it was a banquet. But it was free for everyone. And you better come through dignity. Yeah, yeah chicken, <laughs> uh, mashed potatoes and gravy, stuffing, ham. Uh, we had Santa come. All the kids that were there got Christmas gifts. We had uh, crafts for them. The teens got gifts. Um, and we had live music. And it was all because I was able to consult, have these ideas, and do it properly. Okay. How many years until you retire? Until I retire, I get to retire anywhere between 53 and 55, and I'm 38 right now. Oh, you got a minute. So I got I got a little bit, uh, but at the same time, you know. Because this is feeling like the police department is about to say, adios, you're about to dip <laughs> out on them. Because no. when you watching you talk about the events and the marketing and this work, and you've referenced, and mind you, my I have a undergrad degree in PR and a master's degree in marketing. So I know my people when I feel my people. So this may be the next window for you. Yeah, and mm -hmm. so for me, I've kind of, uh, the way I've been able to uh, have that, kind of keep that passion of what I have, um, I've actually brought it into the police department, uh, to be honest, where I'm able to help with different events. I have my sights set on a specific uh, position that would further help me to be able to uh, we go to the community we need to, call. to do that as well. So um, one thing that I've been doing right now uh, through working through the community and through the police department, we have something that we've uh, been uh, piloting, which is called uh, Courageous. Uh, it's been Courageous Conversations at the uh, dinner table. So what we what we do, uh, we it's the police chief, myself, um, and other members of the community. We initially focused on uh, the 
racial divide and issues between law enforcement and people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so we fo- we settled on a fishbowl um, mm. concept. And in the end, what we have is we have a table in the middle. It's a round table and we go to different places. We have a round table. We have five uh, African-American, right now it's African-American, but you can really do this with other things. Five African-Americans that sit at the table and then right behind them, literally directly behind you, turn the opposite way, there's a police officer sitting right behind you facing the opposite way. The group in the middle is, are asked questions about, uh, do you think that the, uh, the relationship between people of color and law enforcement has gotten better? Now, they answer the question, the group, however they choose. And again, sometimes we think that all black people are gonna have the same ideas. You have Republican black, uh, who are black uh, and African-American, you have uh, Democrats, you have people who are liberal, you have people who are rock and roll. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna get differences of opinions there, but the people who are listening don't get to talk. Then we flip it and the African-Americans are sitting and listening and a police officer asked the same question, do you believe that the relationship between law enforcement and African-Americans or people of color have gotten better or not? And they answer it how they so choose. And then we, after we're done answering all these questions, we all come together and say, what did you think about that? Those answers and those uh, responses to that. Um, and I feel like that's been able to allow for me to do my community work mm-hmm. and my job. Well, Fond du Lac is up the street. I have an engagement <laughs> I would love to do to, as part of that series. And it's yep. the same thing, how you get people talking. Yep. So and we, yep. and we also have a uh, black entrepreneur business professional um, networking event that's actually going to be happening at the Fond du Lac um, campus, Extension Campus, oh, okay. um, coming up at the end of May. So I'll definitely have uh, make sure you have the information about that. Um, information will be coming out very soon. So that is definitely uh, something that we could uh, – Again, get people talking, getting people in the same space, um, people who look like you, which I've heard a couple times. And uh, um, so that's coming at the end of May. So just keep on the lookout for that. But um, we are reaching the end of our podcast. And I and it, it hurts I'm me to my myself. Yeah, right. right? It hurts me to my heart to have to stop this. And if I don't know if you guys noticed, but this is probably the one time out of all the episodes I've been a part of where I didn't I, did, I feel like I didn't talk at all. And I think that was probably the best decision I made ever is to just let that conversation flow the way that it did, you know, and the way that it, it, it should continue, you know, with other people, you know, just letting the conversation flow and being authentically yourself um, and expressing your, your needs and your wants and what you want out of your life, your goals, you know, and um, to other people, you know, and then also relaying the information that you're gathering throughout your experience, you know, all the information that you've gotten, relaying that to for, for, you know, something that's, I'm super passionate about the younger generation, you know, relaying that information, not holding on to it because honestly, you know, with where we were a couple of years ago before the pandemic happened, there's money out here for everybody. Let's just keep it real right there. And there's no reason to be holding it into one area or, you know, um, keeping power um, to the, with the people at the top. And I love what you said earlier, you know, um, uh, making sure the people who aren't already at the top are getting a piece of the cake as well or, or getting the cake itself, you know. So um, I really, really um, took that in and uh, resonated with that because I'm very passionate about things like that, um, making sure everyone's um, having the opportunity and the chance to um, see what their their um, see their dreams happen. And if and, I can slip it into yeah. that's on 
all of us mm, in, yep. in leadership. That's all of us who have businesses and organizations. And that's all of us in particular who are wrapped in this melanin because we too can get caught up in who's the it person yes. of the of the moment who's already is social media feed looks like they're super busy and i have I have a poem about it that i'm working on and it's weaves in the lyrics from hamilton i want to be in the room when it happens mm-hmm. and sometimes our goal is to be in the room and then we're done yeah and, and as yeah, you're supposed to get in the room you, yeah. do your work in the room bring other people in the room and then the room is right so but it's easy to be satisfied, especially when the rooms are of more rarefied air, and then you begin to swallow that Kool-Aid that, you know, you're special, and I, and you are, whoever you are, and you should be in there, yes, you should, and you also have a, I won't say a duty, that doesn't seem fair, but if you're not looking around the room, and if you're not thinking about your network of other amazing people, because hopefully you're surrounded by people who match your amazing, Right. And most of us move that way. So who else in your amazing network should be in this room? So what what I what I'm hearing there for me is just uh, telling people to be intentional. If you have a if you have a professional uh, knack here, whether it's the podcast or if it's uh, poem writing or whether it's um, grant writing, share that. Be intentional and sharing those skills that you have with those that are trying to come up or trying to make do Mm -hmm. with themselves as well. Um, I I just think, I just keep hearing be intentional, be purposeful on uh, inviting others to uh, to the table as well and making others who look like us and look like you uh, be intentional and bringing them up with us. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Um, Let's just go over some of the things that we talked about so far throughout this podcast. We talked about who you are when you're at your best. These are my words. I couldn't keep up all the time, so I just tried to write them down. But we talked about who you are when you're at your best. We talked about spirituality, mentorship, um, physical strength um, through adversity, um, career coaching, and um, emotional intelligence is something that I really, really, the word I really, really enjoy. Um, we talked about positive energy, purpose, integrity, belief systems, uh, marketing, nonprofit journeys, um, the unknown networking. Um, we spoke we spoke to policymakers um, currently and how that what that looks like throughout this national pandemic that we're still in. Um, being prepared, community knowledge sharing. We talked about all of that within one hour, and it really just goes to show, again, um, how naturally, um, I like to say, black people are with connecting, you know, and how maybe we have grown away from that um, these last few years. Um, it's not always been the best, in my opinion, but I could, you, you can see the growth happening, but um, how naturally that happens between black people. Um, and I, I, I like to specifically say black people because I've been in a lot of rooms before, man, and th- th- these conversations that we're having, these authentic conversations aren't always the easiest to have especially on a fly especially to people who you, you don't know you know not everyone is willing to share information to people they do not know you know and um, just to see over this past month um, the people who've come and sat in the same chairs you two are in 
both both all times they did not know who each other was and you can just see the power in that though you know and not be afraid and like i say once they get to start talking they're all just they don't want to stop <laughs> like okay i'm talking to somebody who's on the same level as me and you know somebody who has similar interests as me and we're here so um but we are coming to the end of the podcast and i do want to um just say how appreciative i am of to be in this space with you two um to have learned from you two um I see both of you as mentors, someone, people I look up to. And, um, you know, throughout my personal life, that's something that I was always challenged with growing up. So um, it's just a a great opportunity to be able to be in this position that I'm in to continue learning uh, from people um, that are established, you know, and that have similar experiences I do you know I speak all the time to the youth to the younger generation and there's going to be some young people on this as audience listening to this podcast who are going to take some great information about that conversation you just had and that's the whole point here today you know to share knowledge and bring people in to be to have that connection right so um that's I, I felt that like genuinely yeah genuinely I, I really felt that and like I said before I this is the less I've ever talked and sometimes that's the good thing, you know, <laughs> sometimes people just need to stop talking, you know, and just listen, you know, and that's what I did. That's what I, I, I wanted to do. It's not what I intended to do in the beginning, but it's just, you know, you read the room and you, you let it just flow naturally. Right. Well, just, I appreciate it being yeah, yeah. you. I appreciate it being all of you guys. Today. Yeah, and I'm thanks. very uh, blessed that I was able to experience this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. So I do want to give the viewers and the listeners a chance to um, know more about you and how they can find you if they're looking to reach out or support. So if uh, both of you can just, you know, give your first and last name, your business name, um, um, you know, this mission, where you're located, and uh, if where they can find you on social media platforms. You know, that's a new thing nowadays. So, um, yeah, just go. Uh, Dasha Kelly Hamilton. You can find me at dashakelly.com. My primary socials on Instagram, that's Dasha underscore Kel Ham. And what was the other thing you want us to tell them? The good people? Um, just, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, where your business is located, which I think you did mention. Facebook would be Dasha Kelly 2. And I am a global citizen. Mm-hmm. So I'm based actually out of Milwaukee and Anchorage. That's a whole nother long love story, but so I'm Anchorage, Alaska. That one, yeah, that one, Mm -hmm. that one, that one, that one. So, but as your state poet laureate, all of this state is my home. So I'm doing work across the state, um, in other communities and, but I'm rooted here in the city, MKE. Thank you for being here today, Dasha. It was very, very, very nice to have you here. Great to be here. Uh, again, Kawan Brown. Um, uh, I'm a city of Fond du Lac police officer. However, obviously, I, I'm the founder of Life Enforcement. Uh, if you want to find out more about Life Enforcement, we're on we're at uh, lifeenforcement.com. And currently, we do a lot of behind the scenes uh, with uh, blessing and donating in the community. And we're looking at planning on coming back after we've been given the okay to come back out because a lot of our events. Uh, are interactive and that was not okay for a couple of years here. Um, so again, lifeenforcement.com, same thing on Facebook, lifeenforcement.com. Uh, me personally, in terms of uh, my social media, I am more of a private person. So I'm just uh, online with my family and close friends otherwise. But again, um, if you need to reach out to me directly, Brown at lifeenforcement.com. And if I can give any, I mean, I don't have to give you much advice, but stay private, man. You don't want to go over to the, the public and have everybody in your business. And oh, you got to make real. Well, stay well, private. You do yeah. it just fine. You see me, private. you see me on, we're on Facebook. Uh, a lot yep. of my social media, I have personally put 
my focus on my family and mm -hmm. kind of making uh, light of messing with the wife and kids and things like that. That's where my focus is as, at this mm -hmm. point. Um, I just me currently, I'm a school resource officer. I spent mm -hmm. I've been an officer for 14 years. Um, I spent six years on patrol. I did uh, eight years in computer forensics, and I'm currently the school resource officer at Fond du Lac High School. And you know, TikTok is a big thing. They asked me to do TikTok. Say, oh, you should make your own page. No, I'm okay. Um, that's <laughs> yeah. not where my focus is. My focus right now is on the family and stuff. But again, you need to reach out to me, uh, kbrown at lifeenforcement.com. I'd be able to talk there. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And again, I just want to say it's, it's been a pleasure to sit here and have a conversation with you too. Yep. So um, it is important um, as we continue, um, even though we're not in February, we are currently in March, that we honor and highlight the black trailblazers who've paved the way for this conversation, for this space and opportunity to be free of restrictions and limitations as a community and country. Um, we are black entrepreneurs of Wisconsin and our voices and experiences matter. We are essential to the economic growth and development of this state. It is an honor to share space with such prominent entrepreneurs and learn more holistically about you. Um, it is important that we continue being role models for our youth and community members. A lot of times we look for outside support and we have everything we need right here. Um, sharing our stories inspires many, providing physical proof that it is possible. Um, no matter who you are and where you're from, I like to say, and as we close, don't stop, keep going. Again, this is real. This is authentic. This is In Our Words Podcast. We're out.